Hello, I'm Alec Avdekov, and welcome to the life and times of Frederick the Great. On today's episode, we once again depart from the scripted narrative to have a discussion with a guest who is outside what you would normally think would be on this type of podcast. However, our guest is not only knowledgeable, he is definitely one of the most kind and flexible people. By flexible, I mean with his time. Seriously, if you know about Murphy's Law, anything that can go wrong will go wrong, is somewhat prophetic for the production of this episode. It went through me mistaking the time difference to audio production errors that I didn't have time to get into right now, and it was a bit of a mess on my part to actually create this whole episode. So I am personally apologizing to our guests that it was such a time actually creating this episode. Despite all of that, here is our episode. Our guest is somewhat of a rising phenom in Instagram and has made a career of doing something I could only dream of. He is a tour guide of Berlin and Potsdam area. In historical education, it is not only important to read, or in this case, listen to history that is important to humanity. It is also important to actually go there and visit the places for yourself. That is why I invited Johnny Whitlam tour guide extraordinaire to speak on this podcast. He is a heck of a guy, and I really appreciate his time. Also, here's a reminder to you all that the best way to support this podcast is through Patreon. And I want to thank all of the people who support me, especially Steve, who gave me a book at the Seven Years War Convention. If you want to help support this show, the best way to do so is through Patreon. There's also an episode about Frederick the Great's sister, Wilhelmina, to paying members only. Once again, I thank you all. The next voice you will hear will be my own, introducing our guest, Johnny Whitlam. Alright, so today we have a very important guest on our show, so why don't you introduce yourself to us? Uh, hey, Alec, and um, thank you for calling me important. Um, <laughs> I'm flattered. Uh, my name is Johnny Whitlam. I'm a uh, tour guide in Berlin and Potsdam. And yeah, I'm excited to talk to you about something that's a bit different for your show, rather than focus just on history, but talk about visiting Potsdam today. Absolutely. So this is actually one of the reasons why I want to have you on the show. It's because you provide a different perspective than most classical trained historians do. You have actual boots on the ground experience in Potsdam. So how did you get interested in history and being a tour guide in general? Yeah, so my interest in history actually started a bit later, I guess. So I'm, I'm 34, but uh, I got interested in history really during university because I had a mean teacher at school. <laughs> and so I dropped the subject when I was 14. I, I, I'm laughing just because I remember my dad once did my sister's homework for his class and my dad got a D when my sister was 11 oh. years old. <laughs> my dad is very smart, certainly smarter than an 11 year old, I can tell you that. And so yeah, nobody liked him. And so what sparked my interest in history was in my second year of university as an undergraduate at Newcastle studying politics was a class East German socialism from a former 
East German citizen, which 19-year-old me who thought, okay, this is quite interesting, but 34-year-old me thinks like, oh man, I should have I should have asked this more more questions and stayed in touch and wow. And so that sparked an interest in history of East Germany and Berlin. And I came to Berlin a couple of years later, kind of for fun, really. I was just traveling and I thought, hey, Berlin will be fun. And it was really fun. And so I just finished university. I was looking for a job. I applied to be a tour guide and a company with a, a certain reputation said, you can be a guide if you work Christmas Day and New Year's Eve and stuff like that. And I was like, okay. And so um, I uh, hopped on a plane and moved here, such as it was in the European Union, uh, when one could do that. I'm a, I'm a German citizen now. It's all good. But yeah, I, uh, I became a tour guide after living in Berlin for uh, a whole six weeks, <laughs> <laughs> which is to say I probably wasn't very good at the time. I certainly made up for it with energy and youth. And so my interest in history really started with this kind of Cold War era history, the Berlin Wall and the escape tunnels and the Stasi and things like this. And then because of my job, I needed to know a bit more than that. And so most people coming to Berlin are interested in um, him and uh, World War II. And so, uh, Addy, as his friends called him. And so, I, you know, I started learning that, getting very interested in that. And then if you're going to talk about German nationalism, I think you have to talk about the formation of the German nation. And so, you know, who are all these dudes with this weird facial hair? Let's find out more about um, the Wilhelms, the Friedrichs and the, and the Bismarcks. And actually one of the most important places on like the most typical tour that I do in Berlin is the square where the book burning took place. It's a square called Babelplatz, but it used to be called Forum Fredericianum. It was named by Frederick the Great, I believe, after himself, which is a, a typical... Frederick the Second, Frederick the Great move, you know, modest, but absolutely not at the same time. And I think one of the hurdles I have when talking about that period of history is basically trying to get people interested in it because it's far back enough that when you see pictures of these people, they're not photographed, they're paintings, and they essentially look like they're wearing costumes, right? It's kind of the colors that we would never wear or think about. The good thing is that with Frederick the Great, the dude is really interesting. And so my interest in history has kind of gone backwards, but I'm in danger now of rambling. <laughs> no, no, none of that. None of, none of that worrying about rambling. <laughs> so can you give us an average day for a tour of Berlin or Potsdam that you would give? Uh, yeah, I can. So, I mean, obviously we're not really focusing on Berlin today, but just to say that what most people do is they'll see the Reichstag, the Brandenburg Gate, the Berlin Wall, the Holocaust Memorial, Museum Island, and Museum Island is this kind of center of royal Berlin, and quite typically for a German city, you know, there's some old buildings, there's some copies of old buildings, there's a whole kind of mix of things there. But yeah, I mean, one of the oldest buildings in Berlin, just go back to 1705. So what, what year was Frederick the Great born? Was it uh, 1712, right? So even even back before him, um, to the time of his weird grandfather and father. <laughs> and so <laughs> they're all weird. They're all weird. Anyway. Uh, all Hollands, um, all Hollands are weird. You cannot, you cannot argue. Frederick the Third? Uh, Frederick William the Third, sorry. Oh. He seemed, he seemed all right. Yeah, you got yeah. yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, we'll give him, we'll give him a chance. Um, anyways, we'll, we'll give him the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. yeah. So uh, it's mostly people that are staying longer in Berlin. So uh, that will go to Potsdam because it will take 
a whole day. It's only 30 to 40 minutes away, depending on which train you get. And it really is like a different world. I think it's, there's a reason why all of the various Prussian kings over the years, like going all the way uh, to Wilhelm II, right, that, you know, Potsdam is a place where they can relax and where things are very pretty and Berlin is not a beautiful city now, and that's mostly because of the war and, you know, there's cheap architecture in its place and so on. Uh, but even if you go back before the war, Berlin's a big manufacturing city. It's a big, loud, dirty, full place. One of the most crowded places in the world before before the Nazis took over. And so Potsdam, Potsdam is none of those things. It is, there's lots of kind of open spaces, trees, kind of, uh, you're from the US, right? And when you picture uh, a small European town, it's like bad, right? There's kind of you know, nice tiled roofs and two-story buildings and pedestrianized areas and lots of trees. And then there's not quite a city wall, but a place where the city wall used to be. And there's these old city gates and, you know, it's Germany. No, it's quite often that these things aren't quite the original, but they certainly look it. And so, yeah, what do I do as a, for an average group in Potsdam is I don't go directly to Potsdam. What I've been doing lately is I take people to Wannsee. Obviously, you have to talk about the Nazis a little bit there. Whilst waiting for a bus, I tell them about each of the Prussian kings in order uh, whilst trying to keep them awake. Um, <laughs> so it's a sentence or two on each one. And, you know, they're kind of easy to make fun of, as we've alluded to. They're all they're all a bit weird. Actually, uh, we, we're near uh, King Charles III's coronation now, right? And uh, one of the stories I like to tell about Electra Frederick III, who becomes King Frederick I, is I believe, you have to correct me if I'm wrong, he spent one-sixth of the country's money on his own coronation, crowning himself. Yes, it yes, was. Is it really as much as one-sixth? Fantastic. I, I think he might have done even more. Like, uh, like <laughs> he said, like, uh, Christopher Clark said, uh, I'm mincing my words here, but probably about two full years of a country's budget on the coronation <laughs> itself. 200% of GDP. Amazing. Um, good. Um, coming to an Instagram reel near you. <laughs> and so, it's not, not a joke. Uh, 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 and so I go through all of those. And, you know, it's it, it's a bit lighthearted. It's a bit of fun. And then we take this bus to the Glienigerbrücke, which um, the original was uh, built by Schinkel. But God, who designed the second version? I don't know off the top of my head. But that's also known as the Bridge of Spies. And so it's a nice way to enter Potsdam because you enter on foot and you can pretend to be a, uh, a Soviet spy returning home, right, uh, as you go to former East Germany. And then we walk through the former death strip where the Berlin Wall used to be. You'd never know looking at it. It's like the banks of the Havel River, and you can see Frederick William IV's Highlandskirche over on the other side. It's just so beautiful. And then you enter the UNESCO World Heritage Site, the Neue Garten, which is set up by Frederick the Great's successor, Frederick William II, who is also known as... Oh, you got me. You got me. What was... <laughs> It's the best nickname, the fat and useless. Ah. <laughs> Der Dicker Ludejan. And so, yeah, that's actually probably, it's the most recent Hohenzollern history there, right? That's where the Sicilianhof Palace is, which as a Brit showing people this British style palace, I'm like, yeah, we've got those. You know, it's a very, it's a very good, very good version of whatever we used to do. Like, cool. But that's also, it's mostly known, of course, for where the Potsdam Conference took place, right? Um, and so you get into this like end of World War II, beginning of the Cold War history. Actually, one of the things I really find interesting there is to talk about Truman, who is right, the only person ever to have to make a decision on to whether uh, on whether or not to use the nuclear weapon, this nuclear weapon, which is like 
it's just so incongruous with where you're stood next to this palace. You know, I was there just yesterday. It's springtime. All these flowers are blooming. And yeah, it's it's impossible to know what would have been on this guy's mind if he really even understood it, right? I'm sure he didn't. Yeah. yeah. I mean, considering like a couple of months before, he had no clue about the bomb at right. all. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, is this guy's, what, like first six months on the job, right? <laughs> Hey, um, hang out with this dude, Stalin. Also, don't let him know that you could kill everyone on the planet. Bye. Um, you know, uh, God, I think, I don't know if history has been nice or, or, or not to this guy, but I mean, that's just a level of power and decision-making that's never been seen before or since, I think, in terms of its magnitude. And so, yeah, we, you know, we obviously we spend a bit of time there. Stop for, stop for ice cream. <laughs> what most tour guides do at this point is take this little bus into town. What I do, because I'm mean, is I walk through the rest of the Neugarten, past a different palace, the Marble Palace, and sometimes I walk, past, walk people through the Russian colony Alexandrovka, which is all these traditional Russian wooden houses built under Frederick William III. And then I go down the hill through the Nauenator and into Potsdam. The Nauenator is like a, looks like a mini Gothic castle. It's very kitschy, very kitschy and Disney style. And, the, and there's a tram that goes right through the center, this pointed arch in the center. It's very... Again, I'm thinking from Americanized, like if you're going to have a stereotypical what's Europe like? And it's like, obviously, there's some public transport that goes through a castle, you know? Yes. Yeah. We got to have the tram through the castle, obviously. It's uh, it's what we wake up for in Europe. <laughs> and so this is where I then stop for, stop for lunch. There's like loads of different places you can go and you can sit in the Dutch Quarter or this lovely brick architecture and have a sandwich and a beer or I basically stop so people can go shopping as well. And, and then I march people through the Brandenburg Gate. And so this is where, in terms of the tour, we really get into the history of, of Frederick the Great. And the Brandenburg Gate is, uh, you know, obviously people are like, oh, there's a second one here. Isn't that funny? Isn't that nice? And Germans are like, yeah, natürlich. Uh, we have these everywhere, right? But the Brandenburg Gate is, I guess, when you start to see this duality of Frederick the Great, I suppose, or, or how you phrase it, like you can't put him in any box, right? Here he is winning this war that he didn't really win, trying to show that he, they had money by spending the little money that he has on a vanity project, yeah. right? Which is this entrance to Potsdam, which really honestly is supposed to be his entrance to Potsdam anyway. It's the nearest entrance to Sanssouci, but it doesn't line up with the main entrance. Like I say, Frederick the Great's full of these different different contradictions. So we go through the gate and then I, I actually never take people to the main entrance to the Sanssouci Park for the reason that Frederick William IV in the 19th century added a church to the southeast corner. And so it's, again, this kind of contradiction with, uh, with Frederick the Great, right? That there was no church there. Obviously, he never said, I'm an atheist, there is no God, right? Um, and I guess, is he a smart politician for saying that? Is he an atheist? Was he just not that bothered about church? It's, it's really hard to say. But the absence of a church in this massive Sanssouci complex is quite conspicuous, I suppose. The highlight of the church for me, by the way, is a statue lovingly known as Buff Jesus. Because it's it's just this statue of Jesus. He is just ripped. You're like, yeah. Anyways, then I, I kind of, I try to walk people down this path to the Sanssouci Palace where actually the palace is quite hidden by all the trees. The idea being that the first time you see the palace is quite far away. It's at the bottom of the hill, but you get this full effect of the symmetry. So you don't just kind of see it uh, from the side. Like you want to have that, that photo that you've seen online, if you ever Googled it with all the kind of tears and the fountain in the middle and the trees framing it. Like that's what I want. That's where I want people to first see it. By this point, we've probably 
done about 20,000 steps. And people, yeah, people in the group are naturally thrilled when I say, we are now going to walk up the 120 something stairs to see Frederick the Great's grave. And they're like, thank you. That's what we wanted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a real gift. And actually the, the tour quite often attracts an older crowd. So it is something to kind of be aware of right that you've got to ask people if they have any mobility issues or will do after twenty thousand steps like the one of the guys i was with yesterday had just had a knee replacement i guess a year ago but you know i mean his knee is made of steel like but it was quite cold and he wasn't so thrilled uh, by going up the stairs but he, he he was like we're gonna do it i want to see the grave so that's all good um, and so we get up to the top at <laughs> the top of the hill uh, do you know this? Uh, that that's the top of the axis of wisdom. Yeah. So there are two axes in the park. Uh, there's the axis of might, which leads from the um, from an Egyptian style obelisk, which was created before Europeans could understand hieroglyphics. So it basically says like exactly. And so you enter and you oh obelisk, great kings of old, just like Frederick the Great. And then way 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 down at the other end is the new palace, uh, which is the big show off one. And then bisecting it, uh, bisecting the axis of might, as that is called, is the axis of wisdom. Mm -hmm. And the idea is if you enter at the bottom of the axis of wisdom, you're literally at the bottom, right, on the south end. And then you will rise up and, oh, who lives at the top of the axis of wisdom? Oh, it's Frederick the Great, you know? <laughs> it must be great being king. Like, I think I'm going to put my house at the top of something called the uh, axis of wisdom. Is anyone, anyone, is that a good idea? As they say in the history of the world, it's good to be the king. Yes, yes, absolutely. And so once we get up to the top, I, I, and I try and break it up and talk about different parts of his life on the way up. So his life as a prince and with Voltaire and how he ran away, how his father tried to kill him um, a couple of times. And how his father did kill Hans Hermann von Kata, who may or may not have been his lover. Exactly, exactly. And then, yeah, uh, I just, just tried to break it up a little bit. And the idea is going through chronologically... By the time we get to the top, we can talk about his death inside of the palace. Point. We can even point right to the window of his room where he died uh, and then walk people over to his grave and tell the, this kind of weird story of the grave. It's where he wanted to be buried, but he wasn't buried there for over 200 years. And so, yeah, that's kind of, it's a bit of a tale in itself, right? How his nephew didn't really care about him, I suppose. He was buried next to his dad, who he had this terrible relationship with. Uh, the body was moved by the Nazis, rescued by the Americans from the Soviets. And like, it's just, it's, you often have these stories in, in, in this part of the world that are just so over the top. But, you know, if they were, if they were um, fictional, you'd say that's too much. No, history is always a farce. It's it's too good to be fiction. There you go. You know you know what the locals leave on his grave as a present, right? Of course, I know what they leave, but do explain. <laughs> <laughs> I have been to Potsdam probably on average uh, once every two weeks for the last ten years, and I have never not seen potatoes on his grave. And so the idea is, <laughs> and, and lately people have been drawing little faces on them. It's perfect. And wrapping them in bows. Oh, that's even great. Oh, that's <laughs> it's so awesome. much fun. Uh, actually, yesterday was really sweet because I always do this. I always say to the group, like, I either make a stupid tour guide joke, like, oh, um, yeah, this is what we do in Germany. We just put potatoes on graves. What, what do you do where you're from? <laughs> <laughs> or I asked them, do you know why there are potatoes there? And what was really sweet was yesterday, there was a lovely woman from Australia on my tour who was just out here super enjoying her holiday. And you know, when someone is in such a good mood, it's just infectious. And like, this was a good mood group. And she was like queen of the good moods. And, um, and uh, she told the story of 
how Frederick the Great wanted people to have eat potatoes and they didn't like potatoes. And so he said, hey, I'm going to set up my own potato garden and tell everyone that the best potatoes and tell the guards to actually let people steal them, right? As a way to kind of get people interested in them and to have them everywhere. She told this story like as if it was her job. I was like, oh, cool, we can go home, you know? Um, <laughs> it was just so enjoyable though, because sometimes when you hand over to an audience, they they freeze or, you know, they don't, it's not their job to tell these stories. And so they, they don't follow the right kind of um, rhythm or twists and turns and so on. But she nailed it. And I was like, oh, it was just like a really happy, nice moment, right? And then I ask uh, everybody, hey, so did you bring any potatoes? And nobody ever does, man. They're very rude people that come on my tours. What can I say? Oh, disrespect, <laughs> my gosh. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I'm writing a stern letter. And so after that, uh, we take a quick look at the windmill. We talk about, I go around to what used to be the front entrance. It's now really considered the back, but that's where the first reception rooms were and where Frederick would meet his dinner guests that he had every night that would write letters about how tedious he was. <laughs> the man was a control freak though, so. Yeah, 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 definitely. And you can also, oh, you see the ruinen bag from there, like the ruin mountain. And I, I love talking about follies because nothing says I am richer than you could ever imagine than building a folly. And like Roman ruins to remind me that I am great, but also that I will die. It's just so, I love the egotisticalness. It's just Frederick, you know, you, you can never put him in a box. Yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. And then, oh, speaking of Frederick, there is then when you leave the way that I do, there's a guy that dresses up as Frederick the Great. And I, I swear he's there every day. And he plays the flute and you can toss him some coins. And if you tell him you're American, he might even play your national anthem. <laughs> Which, you know, go for it. One of the best national anthems in the world. It's exciting. Well, it's, it's a lot better than, than Spain, who doesn't have any lyrics as of right now. Yes, it's also better than Britain and Germany, my, my home and my adopted country, where both of our anthems are dull. They're just dull. You know, America, fireworks, go for it. <laughs> and, then, and then after that, we go home. So I usually just take people on a, on a bus and then a train back to Berlin, which, you know, from there takes about one hour to get back to the center of Berlin, which is, yeah, it's really phenomenal. It's very easy to do as well. Actually, if anybody's interested in uh, visiting... Uh, the Sanssouci Park uh, by themselves. I wrote a little guide to do it uh, on your own. I mean, you can always book me as a tour guide. That would be sweet. But if you thought, hey, A, that's expensive, right? Because it's just one person. Or uh, B, I'm rather the person who goes alone. Then uh, yeah, Alec, I should send you the link. And it's just like yeah, a nice walk through Sanssouci Park, like my favorite route through the Sanssouci Park. Yeah, absolutely. It'll be in the description. That link will definitely be there. So as far as the tour goes and how it is significant to history, could you tell us a little bit about how Potsdam is significant or was significant to history as a whole? Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's obviously a place that shaped the kind of minds, opinions, actions of all of these, of all of these kings, right? And I mean, the kings of, of Prussia, kind of the set that we're talking about with the Hohenzollerns, right? It's 1701 to 1918, which is when Potsdam or, and Berlin and Brandenburg, you know, they kind of changed from Brandenburg to Prussia to the German Empire. I mean, it's a massively important place for this reason. And not only that, but like we said, all the Hohenzollern are a bit weird. And so you can see this with how they've built these palaces and added them and changed them. Nobody wants to be like the guy before, right? Everybody wants to outdo their father, uncle, whatever, whatever. You quite often see that some of them have a nice image of their grandfather in their head. 
but never the immediate uh, generation before. Wilhelm II is one of my favorite examples. He had a terrible relationship with his parents, who in fairness tried to fix his withered left arm by making him like wrap it up in freshly slaughtered rabbits, which, you know, we'll never know if it worked. (laughs) (laughs) You just got to keep trying. And so I think this is why he developed this obsession with his grandfather, because he went down to Potsdam, where he was away from his parents. He could, I guess, feel a bit more like himself and feel inspired by this great emperor. And he's like, I'm going to be this great emperor as well, right? Sucks for him. He totally didn't. Um, (laughs) Literally the worst one. Uh, Imagine being worse than a guy whose nickname is the fat and useless. Like, in the U.S., we have the useless presidents who did nothing. Uh, <laughs> similar along those veins. There's a guy who died at his inauguration, right? Uh, died after 30 days afterwards. William Henry Harrison. Well, I'll go on a side tangent real quick. So William <laughs> Henry Harrison, he dies after he catches pneumonia from making a speech saying, Ah, yes, I'm going to make the longest inaugural speech on earth because I am qualified for office. Then he dies 30 days later. <laughs> hubris, hubris, hubris. And so, yeah, what else What else makes Potsdam important, let's say? I think it's important. You could argue, I, I know it's a bit of a cliche to go down, didn't the Prussians love the military and go into war angle? But there is a lot of evidence for it. Frederick the Great's father, the soldier king, Frederick William I, he's where I guess the like this big importance of Potsdam really starts with requiring that people house house a soldier there, right, in their own house, building these extra rooms for them, building up this first standing army. I guess then the importance is really solidified after the Seven Years' War as the place where it's going to be uh, under the reign of Frederick the Great, where it's like, this is going to be the place where the kings really relax. The soldier king would have sold off a lot of a lot of land and churches and gold and whatever else to build up his standing army. Frederick the Great wants to spend all this money building a palace, saying that he's he's the next Louis XIV. Sorry, not just building a palace, building building those two palaces in there. And I guess I guess saying to the world that you're going to be this next big thing when Prussia had never been a big thing, right? Under the Hohenzollern, at least it, it was. It was a backwater. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a that's a that's a nice way of putting it. Or uh, unless you're a Prussian, I suppose. <laughs> but we can see then that I mean, he he did really achieve his aim, right, of putting Prussia on the map, putting himself on the map. Uh, we can see that after his death, uh, not long after, twenty thirty years after, uh, when Napoleon shows up. Napoleon presumably comes to put potatoes on his grave. Uh, But the story is, right, that Napoleon goes to his grave and says, hey, if this guy was still alive, I wouldn't have won this war, right? I wouldn't be here. And I mean, I don't think Napoleon is known for his modesty. No, 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 no. Considering one of his greatest things was the Arc de Triomphe, this huge, gigantic, massive (laughs) arch proclaiming, yeah. Uh, I've never visited his, uh, his tomb but I would like to. It looks very over the top. I think it's also a little known fact that Germany's declaration for World War I was signed, uh, the Sanssouci Park as well, in the Neues Palais, the New Palace, uh, which again, we go back to Wilhelm II. He loved the New Palace when he came to power. So his, his father died of throat cancer after 99 days on the throne. I think the first thing he did was kick his mum out. His mum his had to run away, right? Because she was worried that, because he didn't like her very much, he, which because she was mean to him, uh, she was going to be arrested. And so you see this kind of, again, this massive, massive change. I think people look back at um, Wilhelm II's father and wonder what could have been, right? He was uh, certainly a lot more liberal, certainly very much inspired by his wife and her, her family, the British royal family, and wanted to, 
bring in reforms that probably would have given the royal family less power, whereas his son, Wilhelm II, had been traipsing around after his grandfather, Wilhelm I. And, you know, you can again see, like, anything built at the time of Wilhelm II that we still have in Berlin is so big and so gaudy and so over-decorated. And you can see that's the kind of person he wanted to be. I always describe him quite sadly as... uh, having a lot of ambition and not a lot of talent. But yeah, he, he then signed um, signed the World War I declaration there and then ran away from there as well, right? That's where he loaded up his train carriages. <laughs> what is it? How many? Do you know how many it is? I don't know off the top of my, off the top of my head. Uh, off the top of my head, I think it's 20. Oof. And, you know, he, he had in, entire, like, uh, cars in there and art and gold and furniture and he, you know, runs away, right? He didn't run away with all that stuff in November 9th. He was actually allowed to come back and then do it. But yeah. And so you do have these kind of big moments in, in world history that, that happen in Potsdam. But at the same time, it's a, it's a small, quaint, pretty town, right? Where you can like, oh, stop and eat strawberries and it's nice. And so I guess I like that mix of things. As a tour guide, what I don't like to ever do, especially as a tourist, is like, oh, we robbed this bit of the statue for good luck. Because... That actually means you don't have a story, right? It's just like... No, there's a story off the brims with, with Potsdam. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, there's it's not quite relevant for for your podcast, but there's you know, a whole thing we didn't even mention, which is the uh, Soviet Forbidden City uh, next to Sicilianhof, where they sectioned off a part of Potsdam, and it was, it operated like the Soviet Union. There was a school there. They raised the flag, sang the Soviet anthem. They had a KGB prison. Which I guess if like the Stasi were handing you over to the KGB, you were really going on holiday, you know? Uh, like this is crazy to me for like such a small town. I guess I guess in, in English we wouldn't even call it a city. Don't get angry at me, Potsdamers. You clearly haven't been to a rural Ohio then. <laughs> uh, it's, you know, it's uh, sadly not made it onto my list yet. <laughs> <laughs> so for the final question, could you give us a little bit of insider knowledge where the best place to eat in Potsdam or Berlin is? So Berlin, man, that's going to be a whole other thing. There's like almost 4 million people here in Berlin. Let's say my favorite restaurant is called Heuberger, H-E-U-B-E-R-G-E-R. And that's where you're going to have German food and you can sit inside and outside and either go for the schnitzel or the Käsespätzle. If you've never had Käsespätzle before, it is like if mac and cheese was like just amped up. Right, it's it's like comfort food level. Ooh. It's really, it's really good. I have mine with sauerkraut, so you get all that like fatty cheese, and then you've got the acid from the sauerkraut. It's awesome. And with the twenty thousand steps or more, you, you'll be able to walk around. <laughs> Absolutely, you need it. In Potsdam, just the other day, I went with my in-laws to a place. Um, the um, it's called Havelborna. That sounds funny in English, doesn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Havel is the river. Borna means beans, or Bornen is beans. And that is a, it's where they roast coffee. And they've got all these different coffees from all across the world. And it's a kind of nice mix between, I'm paying a lot of money for a coffee. And nobody here is like, uh, like that, what's that meme of the guy with a scarf, but a (laughs) V-neck? The hipster meme. Yeah, yeah. It's all still quite oldie, worldy in there. And they do cakes and stuff. And you can like grab a normal coffee for three bucks. Or you can say like, I want such and such thing from Tanzania for, you know, seven or eight or something. Which if you really like coffee like me, it's quite nice because in Germany, quite often the coffee is distinctly there. It has a physical presence, let's say. And so, yeah, that's Havelbona. Please do not laugh. 
Uh, another cool place to go is called Alexandrovka, which is in this former, what's called Russian colony, where there's this really nice architecture, uh, these traditional wooden houses. Alexandrovka, there is, of these 12 houses that were given to these former prisoners of war, one of them is still owned by the original family, actually, the Gagoyevs, and one of them is a restaurant which has these creepy statues out in the garden of like from Russian fairy tales, including Baba Yaga. Oh, I know Baba Yaga. Exactly. If you grew up in East Europe, then you were scared of Baba Yaga because she's this evil witch that will come and, um, I don't know, punish you. Yeah, then there's another place next to the Sicilianhof Palace, which is called the Maya Rai, which is the old royal dairy. They've got a quite fancy restaurant where you can go sit inside, or if you're a peasant like me, uh, you can go out to the back and have a, a sausage and a beer and they brew the beer on site and you sit by the river and it's just, it's it's really beautiful. There's another one with a royal connection actually is the Kong's Nays. I hope I pronounced that right. That is a, um, obviously Willem II had his own Norwegian fishing village, right? That's, that's completely normal. The building that was right on the water was destroyed by Soviet artillery in World War II. The only part of that entire part of Berlin destroyed by, so- uh, sorry, Parts of Potsdam destroyed by Soviet artillery. And it was like the emperor who's not been around for a couple of decades. Uh, it was his fishing village that no one was using. Amazing. Anyway, that's been rebuilt very recently. And you can sit out on the water there as well at the Kongsnes, uh, which I haven't yet been to, but it looks really nice. Just across the water from there, quite a long walk. Technically in Berlin, but very, 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 very close to the Potsdam border. The other side of the Bridge of Spies is a place called Wirtaus Morlacker, which is Wilhelm II's old hunting lodge as well. Wait, again, you've got traditional German food in there. And then there is a place I went to just this weekend, which is right next to Sanssouci at the at the windmill. So there's a windmill next to Sanssouci, which was the uh, source of a, a story in the days of Frederick the Great, where Frederick the Great kind of tried to display that he was a citizen of Prussia, right? And so the way to do that for people who don't care about philosophy is to say, you know, the windmill used to keep him awake at night and he went to the miller and told him, I'm the king, you got to go. And the, the miller takes the king to court and the court finds in favor of, of the miller. He's allowed to keep his windmill there and Frederick the Great has to, you know, stick cotton wool in his lips, right? And so he has to be humble. And because even though he's the king, the law is above him. That's the idea. Anyway, in the historic windmill, I had, I think, the best lentil soup of my life. That was just the other day. But again, you can grab you know, a beer, cocktail, uh, you can get a pretzel, cake anything and uh, the view from there is just really really nice especially at sunsets because you're kind of looking over the sunsusi palace and there is a genuine windmill next to you people always ask is that is that real and i'm like no no it's hologram (laughs) (laughs) well man you have my mouth watering right now Uh, all the all these places sound great oh there's one i want to finish with it's a it's a restaurant i found the other day called the butt Ah, childish laughter. What a time. <laughs> exactly. Uh, it's, a, it's a fish restaurant, which in, in, in German, I guess, isn't funny. But if you're immature, Alec, it's very funny. Good, good. We, eh, all, all the audience members out there who are immature, we are one. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about the butt until I read my notes here. Oh. <laughs> well, Thank you so much for being on the show. Is there anything, is there any parting wisdom you would like to speak to us for the last little bit? Any parting wisdom? Oh my goodness. If you do decide to make a trip, a holiday to Berlin, do book that extra day uh, to go to Potsdam. Uh, absolutely. I feel like it's a it's a very under-visited place. Actually, I, I, I know that it is. I used to work in management at a, at a tour company and it's got to be 
I don't know, 2% of our customers that uh, even went there. And I think it suffers a bit from what is this place? And uh, if I want Cold War history, I'll go to the Berlin Wall. If I want World War II history, I'll go literally anywhere in Berlin, I suppose. And if I want Prussian history, I must be Alec, you know? And that Prussian history is more interesting than people think and give it credit for. The palaces, especially after renovations in recent years, they look so good now, so good. Most of the time I've been uh, doing these tours over the last 10 years, They've some of them have been under construction and blah, 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 now they just look fantastic. And so my recommendation, oddly, is go to Potsdam. <laughs> All right. Well, that's a perfect way to conclude this episode. Thank you so much for being a guest on this show. This experience is definitely unlike any other I've had. So thank you so much. Alec, thank you. You are so nice. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Well, that was a very fun conversation for me, and I hope it was for you all as well. Johnny is very cool to have this conversation with me, and it was very informative and fun for me. Thank you all for listening. I have a few links for you to check in the description if you are interested in visiting Potsdam or Berlin and booking Johnny. If you're in the area, please check him out. Thank you all for listening. To conclude today's episode, I will say to you all, Ich bin kein Berliner.